Serpentine! Mastodon! and welcome to the 300th episode of Ranger Chronicles. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and this time out, we're not going to do our normal watching two episodes of a Power Rangers show. This time I have my first interview, and it's a big one. He is the wise old sage from the beginning, and he also got to play a giant floaty head, which is really cool. Uh, please welcome the original Zordon himself, David Fielding. Yay. Hey there! I'm, How's it going? Yay! Just imagine Kermit the Frog flailing and going. Ah! <laughs> uh, welcome yeah. to the show. You are my first interview, so you're kind of my awesome. guinea pig, also. So congratulations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and how are you these days? Uh little older, a little fatter. You know, <laughs> doing what I can. So awesome, awesome. Well. So I guess we'll jump into the interview portion. My first question I have is, um, obviously, I don't know if you wanted to be an actor. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be in the movies when I was a kid. Um, I grew up um, in the late 60s and 70s um, and was fascinated by the science fiction and comic books and cartoons and uh at some point about the age of i don't know eight or nine i decided that i wanted to do that i wanted to be tarzan swinging through the trees i wanted to be um you know one of the soldiers in world war ii running across the field and, and stuff like that anything that was uh big and epic uh I wanted to be a part of. And so um, in junior high, I signed up for drama class uh, and then chickened out at the last moment and didn't really get into it until I was in high school. But once I stepped out on the stage for the first time and heard the roar of the crowd, I was I got bit and and I never looked back at that point. Um, of course, that changed over the years. But um, when I was growing up, yeah, I just wanted to be in the movies. Oh, wow. That's cool. You said the seventies. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So you you were there for Star Wars and Superman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all I mean, I, re- cool I remember seeing the original Star Wars, which was just called Star Wars. It wasn't Chapter Four. It right. was just Star Wars, and uh, Superman with Christopher Reeve and Planet of the Apes movies, the two thousand one A Space Odyssey, anything that had to do with science fiction or fantasy, I was all about that stuff, oh. and. Um, uh, like Billy in the show, I was kind of a nerd in school. I had glasses. I liked to read a lot. And, uh, and you got I all was the not, girls. <clears throat> I was obsessed with girls, but I mean, uh, if my older self had a chance to go back and tell my younger self, I would have said, leave that for a later time. That'll, that'll, yeah. there'll be plenty of time for that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, I was just all about anything epic. That was that was my thing. Okay. So I guess that was when you got into acting was with the high school drama stuff. Yeah. Uh, when I when my father retired from the Air Force, uh, we moved down here into Texas and I didn't sign up for drama right away, but I I was taking French. I was taking a French class and every year they had a talent show where all of the various school clubs would put on a talent show. The French club would do an act. The German club would do an act, whatever. Um and a friend of mine, Ron, and I were really big fans of Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd's Czechoslovakian. We're two wild and crazy guys. Oh, and yes. Love those. So we, we came up with this skit where we would introduce this sort of like skit that was half spoken in French or whatever. But we came out as the as the Czech brothers and we did the walk and we had the checkered pants and the 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 little beanies and stuff that they wore. And as like I said, as soon as I stepped out and the crowd yelled and went wild, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then after that, I started doing plays and stuff. So That's awesome. So, um, well, here's a question that I actually didn't put on my list. What were you doing? What did you do before you got into Power Rangers? I was in school for way too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I graduated high school in 1981 and then did a, a couple of years in junior college and then went to my undergraduate college in uh, San Marcos, Texas, Southwest Texas State, which is now just Texas State, and was there from 84 until uh, 89. Then I, uh, in the fall of 89, I went to uh, the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania to do my master's, and I got... For my undergrad, I got a uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting, and my graduate school was a Master of Fine Arts in Acting. Uh, so I was in school from, gosh, 82 all the way through 92, uh, 10 years. And um, uh, actually, it was the summer of, yeah, it was the summer of 92. That's when I went out to Los Angeles. Uh, and when I landed in Los Angeles two months later, that's when I booked the Power Rangers show. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. So, so I guess you did plays during your school time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of plays, a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of uh, one act plays and uh, costume drama. And um, my time at the University of Pittsburgh was great. Uh, I think it also spoiled me in a way because I got into improv comedy while I was there. And, uh, Got, I was still continuing to do improv comedy was in Los Angeles, but the problem with doing that is it made me not want to read scripts. It made me not want to memorize lines because um, why, why would I want to memorize lines when I can say something off the top of my head and get a big old laugh, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's sort of what I got into. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So you said after all that you booked Power Rangers. So what was the audition like, like? Did you go in knowing you were just going to be ahead? Um, a lot of when I had when I had left my undergraduate to go to the University of uh, Pens uh, Pittsburgh, uh, a lot of the friends that I had made down in Texas, they moved out to California. And um, so when I moved out there uh, three years later, I already had sort of like a network of friends who had been out there for a while. And one of the friends 
uh, Stacy Fish was actually working at Saban. She was working as a production person on a lot of their straight to video movies that Saban was doing at the time. And uh, she called me up and said, Hey, listen, uh, I'm working on this kids television pilot and they're looking for somebody. And I think you'd be great for it. Can you come down and audition later this afternoon? And, uh, I said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I went to Los Angeles was to audition to see if I couldn't book something. And, uh, I moved there in August and this was like the early part of October. So I hadn't been there that long. And uh, I went down there expecting it to be a cattle call, like any other audition that I'd gone on, where there would be like 1,500 guys, and I would get a time, and I would go in, and I would say my lines to a camera, and then I would go home and never hear anything. But when I got down to uh, what at that time was just a building, Saban hadn't bought it yet, and I went up to whatever floor it was, and uh, when I walked in, I found out it was just me and another guy, and... I thought, well, this is kind of nuts. And then I was told, hey, we're going to cast this thing tonight. Are you available to film next week if you get cast? And I was like, yes, I am. And so I understood right away that this was not normal. This was uh, or, or not what I expected. Uh, I'm sure that there are other normal uh, situations where people walk in thinking that they're going to be competing against other people. And they just find out it's just them and the, can't, uh, the director or whatever. Uh, but, uh, they gave us the, the lines to read, uh, which were the lines that Zordon spoke in the pilot and the other gentleman went to one corner. I went to another, we read over them a couple of times and then they took him in first and he was in there for about 20, 25 minutes. And then he came out and they brought me in. I was introduced to the studio heads, the director. Uh, I met the original cast and they had me stand up on the table and boom. Uh, wow. I did the lines and then I went home and about an hour later I got a call saying congratulations you're the you're the you got cast as Zoltar. And I was like okay awesome. Oh sweet. So now in the pilot though you were actually they actually had you like I don't know acting your lines saying your lines. How I, you was, I was I was <laughs> on the day that on the evening or the afternoon that we filmed I when I was out at the time, I was working a graveyard shift job. So once I knew the shoot was going to be over, I had to go to my job right after that. But uh, when I got down to this warehouse in Studio City, it was not glamorous at all. It was just like a closed off building. And I was taken sort of into this room that they had set up to be a makeup room. It wasn't meant to be a makeup room. They had set up like these. They were leaning mirrors up against the wall and they had they had to bring in their own lights and stuff and uh they told me hey you know uh we, we're gonna shave your head are you okay with that <laughs> and, um <laughs> surprise i was like yeah well i'm you know i'm and i you know they made me sign the contract and and um what i understood later on was that this was the last day of filming this was the final thing that they were going to film on this pilot that they had been shooting and uh they shaved all my hair off they darkened my eyebrows they glued my ears back and then uh lathered me with green latex paint from my the top of my neck all the way down past my shoulders to the midpoint on my chest and then i sat in what was like a barber's chair with a towel over the rest of me and a lot of hot lights pointed at me so everybody that i could see were just shadows i couldn't see anybody beyond the lights 
And I sat in that chair and we did the scene two or three times. And then we did a bunch of improv lines and then they had me do a bunch of funny expressions and stuff. And and that was it. And then they said, this is David's first job here in L.A. And everybody gave me a round of applause. And then I went home and my girlfriend at the time broke down in tears because they shaved all my hair off. And <laughs> then I went to work. Oh, wow. <laughs> so at what point did they go from letting you act out the stuff to they're just going to use your face and you're going to voice act do the ADR later? Um, at the time when we filmed it, I was it hadn't been picked up yet. So. Um, I understood that they were just going to be using the, my head. I understood that the character was just a big, uh, the only motivation or, or in description of the character I ever got was that he's a 10,000 year old wizard trapped in a time warp. That was it. And, um, so when I was sitting in the chair, you know, I was just trying to do this sort of realistic serious mentor character for these teenagers with attitude and um relying on all the training i had for uh at, at you know as a being in school for a decade and trying to project this air of somebody who was uh benevolent and kind but also had authority and and um some power behind him and um and then, of course, you know, they would say, hey, you know, when the show gets picked up, we'll give you a call. And I'm like, yeah, sure you will. And I because that was that's the thing in Hollywood. I mean, they shoot pilots all the time. And, right. you know, nine of them never get picked up. Mm -hmm. Nine out of ten never get picked up. So I was very surprised when they called. And then I was immediately disappointed because because I asked them, I said, well, when do I report to set? And they said, well, you're just going to be doing voices from now on. We have all the footage of Zordon that we need. So I was like, oh. So that was kind of the bittersweet experience of being Zordon was uh, going to Los Angeles, landing a television show, and then not really feeling like you're a part of it, you know? Yeah, I can understand that. You only get a couple of hours of shooting, I guess, really? Is yeah, I mean, everything else I don't... Everything else was voice? I think I was there for a total of like four hours, four and a half hours, something like that. Wow. Uh, so did you get to interact with any of the other casts afterwards, like during ADR stuff or anything? No, uh, I think I might have run into Richard Horowitz once or twice, the the voice of Alpha. Okay. Uh, but, and I think I might have met Barbara, uh, Barbara Goodson, who was the voice of Rita. But I didn't meet um, Robert Axelrod or Kerrigan Mahan or and anybody else that was doing voices until 2014, actually. So. Oh, wow. At a convention? Or? Yeah. My oh, first wow. Power Morphicon, yeah. Wow. So um, so that means, I guess, that you didn't get any little cameos on set of the show. No, uh, I only got to visit the juice bar because uh, I took a job working in the mailroom at Saban. <laughs> so I was delivering something to the set, but I was not going to be filmed on the set. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So you, were, you are the Zordon, but you are also the mail guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, and you know, and then every five or six weeks they would say, "Hey, we're we're going to book you an ADR session. Come down and and record these lines for these episodes that we shot." So, you know, I was working in the mailroom, and I would see all of the um, the advertisement and the marketing material that they were putting together for the show, and then I would see all the toys and stuff that were being produced for the show, and I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." 
I'm a part of it, and yet nobody knows who I am, and nobody, right? You know, I'm I don't feel a part of it. So that right. was part. Of it, so wow. So is that part of the reason why you didn't stay on past the initial forty episodes? Um, the main reason I didn't stay was because I I had grown very dissatisfied and unhappy living in LA. I was I was working two jobs. I was afraid that I was going to be living under a bridge come the end of every month, worrying about whether or not I was going to make rent. I wasn't auditioning. I wasn't doing anything as far as what I had been trained to do. Uh, uh, I wasn't acting anywhere. I was just working and uh, kind of tooling around L.A. and wondering, you know, what's going to happen. And I, I knew the show was was going to be coming on the air. Um but I had visited a number of agents and told them about it. And they're like, I've never heard of this. I don't know who you are. And uh, you're not exactly the kind of guy that we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who's over six feet tall and, and that kind of thing. So I just became very sort of like disillusioned and like I didn't want to do this anymore. And I had talked to Tony Oliver, the head writer of the show, who was really kind of like my champion there. And because he and I would talk about writing a lot and – I even submitted a couple of spec scripts for the show, which he really enjoyed, but they had already hired a team of writers to, to do uh, the show. And um, But had I stayed on, I probably would have moved into a role like that where I was actually writing episodes for the show. Um, oh, cool. But, uh, you know, he said, because I told him, I said, look, I'm really unhappy. I think I'm going to leave. And uh, he goes, you can't leave. Just stick it out for another six months. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm just emotionally and mentally burned out. I don't know if I can do this. And he took me up to have a meeting with, with Haim Saban. And that was, <laughs> that was awesome because <laughs> Haim didn't know who I was. He could care oh. less who I was. And he wanted to know why I wanted to leave. And I said, well, I'm just, I'm just unhappy living in L.A. You're unhappy living in L.A.? Yeah, I'm unhappy living in L.A. And you don't want to do the show? I say, it's not that I don't want to do the show. I'm just very unhappy. And he goes, well, okay, go ahead. We'll find somebody else. So uh, they just, you know, they, they took my name off the front of the credits. They continued to use my face because they didn't have to pay me for it. And they hired uh, Robert Manahan to take over. And I think when most people think about Zordon's voice, they think about Robert Manahan because he did more episodes than I did. But it's still my face. So Yeah, well, you still have that, the opening, the first season opening. Yeah. I mean, every time I see something with, like, everyone's favorite shows from the 90s or something, I think it's the season one version, whether they know it's you or not, but it's definitely yours. <laughs> yeah. And I know I know there's a big slice of the fandom that, you know, feels that MMPR gets too much saturation. and and But like you said, I mean, when most people click a little nostalgia button of theirs, that's the season that they think about, unfortunately. So. Yes, yes. Well, that's that's where it got really popular, I guess, too. So it makes sense. I mean, I think it still so, holds the record for being the most watched kids' television show ever. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Did you follow the show at all after that to see what was happening with Zordon or anything? I or didn't. Just... I mean, I they had called me like a year later. I, when I left Los Angeles, I moved back to the city of Pittsburgh. I had a big group of friends there, and I settled in there, and then I started doing uh, radio and television commercials and, and doing voices for video games. And uh, they had called me saying, 
where are you where are you living at now? Because we're going to be shooting a, a Power Rangers movie. We just want to know, make sure that we know how to contact you and if you're available. And then I didn't hear anything after that. And I think the reason I didn't hear anything about that was because they Austin St. John, uh, Tweet Trang, and Walter left the show, and uh, they uh, brought in Karen Ashley, Steve Cardenas, and uh, Johnny Young Bosch to take their place. And those were the guys that ended up in the movie. And then they made the decision to to move the movie down to Australia, and they just hired a local Australian actor or an actor that was living in Australia because. It was non-union. They didn't have to go through the union to do it, which was exactly <laughs> wow. why everybody was paid so low uh, when we did the show. The original show was non-union and stayed non-union for a very long time. Gotcha. I mean, I made less than $1,000 so, $1, on the show. I made, made $150 for the pilot, so that was it. Wow. Really? Yeah. So you kind of couldn't leave your job. <laughs> exactly. Um that hmm. well i've heard i've i've heard a lot about the stinginess and uh it, it shouldn't surprise me but it does well still. from a from a business standpoint that's kind of standard operating procedure you have to do things as cheaply as possible and if you've ever seen anything um like recently i saw even today i saw somebody who was doing a uh, a scene of some guy who was riding in a train and he was sort of like the scene was him sitting in a commuter car just thinking to himself. And the way they achieved the shot was it was a static car. It wasn't moving. But they had everybody outside the window holding up these big placard cards and then running in a circle to make it look like he the train was moving. <laughs> the light would Jeez. the light would move so that it would make make it look like the train was moving. And then they had other guys that were rocking the car slightly so make it look like it had some sort of movement to it. And Wow. That's the kind of quote unquote movie magic that happens all the time. Do it as cheaply as possible and we'll fix it in post. That's that's kind of the mm -hmm. uh, the attitude. So Um so I take it that um now after Mighty Morphin ended they got into Zeo and Turbo and stuff and the head they changed the way the head looked a little. It's still you. Yeah. But I'm guessing you didn't come back to uh do anything. For no, that. no. Even when they uh even when that footage is used in the Turbo movie, it's not me. Uh, it's my face because as the technology progressed from 1993 towards the early, you know, the late 1990s, 2000s, they were able to uh, digitally manipulate that footage so that you get a different angle on Zordon's face. You get a different, um, uh, just a different look to him. And if you notice, if you watch the show closely enough, at some point, Zordon's lips start move, stop moving, and then he just becomes sort of like this static image. He, it's just a voice, and he's not moving at all. And um, from an actor's slash writer standpoint, Zordon is a very underutilized character. They could have done so much with him, but uh, I, I think the main reason why they didn't focus or do anything with Zordon is because they had no Japanese toy equivalent. They had nothing to sell. So why pay any attention to that character? He was basically just uh, there to give exposition anyway. This is what's happening. This is what you need to do. I believe in you. Go, right. to, you know. Um, but yeah. I Introduce mean, the new toys. Yeah, basically. Here's the Thunder Zord. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you, when did you find out that Zordon had died? 
I found that out uh, not until after Facebook came out. Um, sometime in like 2010, I think, or 2009, something like that. I kept getting uh, messages from people I didn't know saying, hey, were you the guy that was in Power Rangers? And uh, I said, yeah. And I and then I thought to myself, whatever happened to that show? Because I, I had no idea. I had not been paying attention. <laughs> my, my life was uh, – I was working uh, on the East Coast outside the city of Boston for a video game company. And I was paying attention to, I don't know – Half-Life and all of these different first-person mm-hmm. shooters or city builder games. And so I wasn't watching kids' television program. And um, That makes sense. So, you know, I, I kind of fooled around and said, okay, well, you know, whatever happened to Power Rangers? And then I, was, I looked it up and was like, wow, this thing is still going on. What the heck? And then um, <laughs> I had moved back to Pittsburgh and in, I think it was 2011, I got an invitation to my very first convention, convention which was Tekashokan in uh, Pittsburgh. And so I had to do research. I had to figure out, well, what happened to this program? What happened to the character? And that's when I came across the Countdown to Destruction stuff and saw Andros shatter the power chamber. And it's like, oh, well, okay. you know, they, they wrote him off the show. Did. So there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, that makes sense, I guess. If, I mean, if you're not following the show, I, mean, I didn't know about it till about that. Well, I knew about it a little earlier than you. Yeah. But I had dropped off after uh, like halfway through Turbo, so I didn't know he had died either. That makes sense. Well, you know, uh, what, the more I think about it, the more, you know, uh, you consider it. I don't I don't think Zordon's dead. Everybody, everybody talks about uh, Andros killing Zordon <coughs> and Zordon's line about I will be gone, but my... You know, the good will live on after me or whatever. It it really does make it seem like Zordon is gone or dead or whatever. But I always go back to the fact that Zordon was trapped in a time warp. Uh, uh, That's true. That was a, he was a 10,000-year-old wizard. I am Zordon, an interdimensional being caught in a time warp. So he, you know, he lived in several different dimensions. And so the power chamber was just his conduit it was a projection of himself that allowed him to communicate with this dimension of reality so when andro shattered that tube it cut off that that sorts of communication whatever of zordon's good energy that was released in the z wave or whatever i think that had been built up uh you know from zordon's projection it wasn't zordon himself it's not like zordon's <laughs> zordon's wave was his body <laughs> transforming all of these putties to dust and uh, yeah. Rita and Diva Talks into good people. I mean, um, I, I think he's out there, you know, but I don't think that they're ever going to go look for him. I don't think they're – other than mentioning Zordon by name and the legacy of Zordon, I don't think they want Zordon to be a part of the show at all anymore. So, Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe we'll have something that's special. You know, I think from whoever owns the property, uh, it's Zordon better serves people if he's not around. If he if he's just this sort of high watermark that people can strive for, then that's better than actually having him in the show. Yeah, that's true. It gives him a more legendary status too. Yeah, and I've heard people say it would it would sort of lessen the impact of his death if they did bring him back. But 
you know, I'm watching the footage of this uh, once and always uh, Power Ranger episode that's coming up in April, and they bring Rita back. They've brought Zed back, <laughs> you know, and it's like yeah, it's, it's yeah. a science fiction fantasy show. You can do anything you want. You can write anything you want. And, um, you know, they've done it before in other things. I mean, but again, you know, I don't I'm not sure if I would agree with the choice of them bringing him back. I mean, it would be nice if they did, but I'm not sure if it would be the right choice if they did. Right. Um, so I take it you have no part in the special. Nobody ever contacted me. I was nobody. I was not, you know, nobody reached out. Uh, I was not in New Zealand. I didn't film anything. I didn't record anything. I'm not a part of it. No. Okay. Okay. Just putting that rumor to rest. Not that there's a rumor, but before it starts. All right. So what hap- What did you do after Power Rangers? After Power Rangers, I moved back to the East Coast. I moved back to the city of Pittsburgh, and I did a lot of local theater. I did some radio and TV commercials. I got really into video games and uh, started off. uh, There was a small company in Pennsylvania called Dreamforge. They did a lot of box D&D games, and I did voices for those games. And then I ended up writing a hint manual for one of the games they did, which was a dungeon crawler called Anvil of Dawn. And then I did... uh, I brought in some of my friends to do voices for those games, and I, I voice directed those folks. And then I got married and moved outside of the city of Boston and went to work for a couple of video game companies. One of them was Impressions Games that did city builders like uh, uh, Caesar 3 and, and Zeus and Poseidon. And I did voices and, and quality assurance for those games. And then I got farmed out to a, a company down the street called Stainless Steel Studios, and I did QA on their real-time strategy game, Empire Earth, and I did 99% of the voices for that game. And <laughs> and then from there, I just got picked up as a designer uh, for another company called Mad Dog Software, where we were doing the sequel to Empire Earth, and then I did that for about mm, five or six years until my marriage fall apart. And then I, then I kind of left, moved back, uh, uh, to Texas and started doing odd jobs and, uh, really concentrating on my writing. I, I, I really got serious about finishing stories and then trying to get them to see them get published. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so you said you started doing conventions in Pitts when you were still in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I, I I, I did that one in 2011, and I didn't do another one until 2014, which was my first Power Morphicon. And when I was there, I got picked up by an, an agent that represented a lot of the original actors for the show. And I've been going to conventions pretty much monthly ever since then. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you keep busy. Yeah, yeah. I'm leaving at the end of this week to go to SciFiCon in Louisiana. So. Oh, that's cool. And it's not that far from you. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, you've been... I'm flying out there. I don't know how far away it is. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, yeah. uh, so, so have you been enjoying the convention experience from the uh, what you call it the the guest side? It's it's surreal. It's really sort of like one of those how did I get here things because I've been at dinner tables and lunch tables with people that I used to watch on a television show. I I 
met Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman, and introduced myself. And she goes, oh, I know who you are. And um, wow, <laughs> I was blown away by that. Uh, I Sam Jones, the original Flash Gordon from, from the 80s movie, knows who I am. And he, he comes over and says hi to me every time we're at a convention. And that just blows my mind. And, and um, <laughs> I've had conversations with Paul Freeman, who played Ivan News, and Paul is Belloc from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, you know, it, it's it's very surreal. It's very strange to think that I kind of straddle this. I'm just a normal guy who gets to hang out every now and then with kind of A-list celebrities. So mm-hmm. it or what I consider to be A-list celebrities. And, um, you know, there's a 50% chance that I could meet, you know, Brian Cranston one day because we played the same character. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> it's, it's just very weird and surreal. And uh, I'm trying to enjoy as much of it as possible because uh, it's because of the fans. It's it's that's, you know, they're the ones who are really keeping the show alive. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's such a genuine pleasure to meet them when we can when where we can and it's it's amazing to hear what a what a great and positive influence it's been for so many people and that's awesome that's awesome yes um uh, so you're kind of the you kind of get to be the fan and the celebrity guest all (laughs) at the same time yeah yeah you're on both sides that's nice (laughs) i mean i i walked away from Lindsay wagner's table just gobsmacked like she knows who i am what the oh no (laughs) i hope i said everything right i hope i didn't mess up yeah Yeah. i mean you know (laughs) you know you're one of my crushes when i was growing up oh no (laughs) oh i i i know that experience from being at power morphicon over the summer so i know exactly well not exactly but i know a lot of what you mean there um so uh, now I, I did look up your IMDb, and it shows that you did return to Zordon a few times. Did was is he an easy character to slip into? Uh, what do you mean it returned to Zordon? Well, it looks like there's like a some fan thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I there was the Zordon of Eltar uh, fan film that I did the voice of King Mondo for. I didn't do the Zordon voice. Um, and uh, I think there were a couple of other things that I did. Uh, it's funny that those kind of things find their way to IMDb because I don't consider them to be sort of like professional credits or whatever, but, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I did get to do Zordon's voice for the, uh, for the video game that came out not too long ago. Was it legacy wars yes. or whatever? Uh, uh, the battle for the grid battle for the grid. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of my favorite moments of being Zordon was, when Kyle Higgins asked me to do the live read for the, for the comic book. And we did that at power Morphicon in, I think 2016, I think 2018. I can't remember, but being on that panel with everybody reading the lines from the comic book and, uh, actually getting to do the voice of Zordon with Barbara down the panel, doing the voice of Rita when we finally got to talk to each other in real time (laughs) was pretty amazing. And then, going out to California and doing that speech again for the video game and actually getting to do the voice for the blues. And it was ranger. So I, I actually got to be a power ranger. That was pretty cool. So. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was actually going to ask you about that. I'm going to move up a little bit on the questions here that, um, 
at the that at that power morphicon i i wasn't there but i did see the uh videos yeah and there was a loud <laughs> loud uproar as soon as you said the your as soon as you started to I all think those who rangers. hear these words yes as um, soon as you started that yeah to all those who hear these words My name is Zordon of Eltar. I come to you from across the grid with a warning. A great threat is upon us. His name is Lord Draken, and his armies are growing. They have found a way to target rangers with their black dragon cannons designed to disrupt your connection to the Morphin grid. As Lord Draken looks to conquer us all, he is trying to steal Morphers to add to his army of centuries. In this time of great uncertainty, we must stand together and, if possible, come to each other's aid. Defend your worlds, protect yourselves and your morphers at all costs, and may the power protect you all. What's that like for you? It was amazing because uh, Kyle had worked it out so that my microphone was uh, set up to have that sort of echo effect from the show. They actually got the settings from the show to uh, pipe them through my microphone. So, And nobody knew about it but me. So I'm sitting next to Peter Adrian... <laughs> who is reading one of the roles in the show. And I just remember this so clearly of saying that first line and having the crowd erupt with uh, recognition and enjoyment and seeing Peter just basically leap out of his skin and, you know, saying, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm sitting next to Zordon. And um, that was pretty awesome. Um, the speech that, that Kyle had written in the comics and the one that I got to read was – really really kind of special and and uh <laughs> i wish i could replay that <laughs> you know i mean it was just a it was just a great thing so yeah a lot of fun yeah that that looked that seemed to be amazing i couldn't yeah and i wish i could have been there there were, there were a number there've been a number of people who were in the audience who just you know have told me that uh they got chills their their hair stood up on the back of their necks and and that kind of thing so it's pretty Oh yeah, pretty amazing to I be watched, able to do that, you know. I watched it on YouTube, like the, the either that later that day or that night, and I I got the same thing. Just yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how much of it was also being with them, like <laughs> when you did it or what all it was, but yes, that was that was more phenomenal, I guess you could say. Yeah. Haha. -ha. Yeah. Now, um, you like you said, you did do the voice in the game. Was now, I didn't realize you did the Blue Xenozoic Ranger, so I guess you had to do some of the fighting sounds. But yeah, I got to was do it the... hard? No, no. I mean, it was just... I just got to do some kias and some kias and, and uh, when I was doing voices and stuff for video games, I had to do, you know, death and wound sounds. You have to do these sort of, like, things with your voice where you're like... Ugh! So, uh, 
doing uh listen you know getting instructions from the guy in the booth like okay uh can you do some um, power kicks and some kios for us i'm like yeah sure and uh <laughs> you know as long as i don't have to actually do that, well what's sure. what's interesting about voice acting is it's nine times out of ten it's more taxing and more physical physical than actually doing on-camera work because they're not going to see you visually the only the only reference they have is your voice and so if you've watched any footage of folks who are in the audio recording booth they're very physical with when they do line readings they'll they'll throw their arms back or they'll you know they'll kick out or um and that's sort of it it adds to the performance it uh, it captures that sort of, this is what it would sound like if I was actually putting some sort of exertion into it. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not physically trained in any sort of martial arts, so I just <laughs> did what I could, but yeah. yeah. Good imitation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you said you were um, big into the sci-fi stuff. Do you, and I've heard that you uh, like read comic books and do D&D &D and stuff. So, have you been reading the Power Rangers comics? I've I don't keep up with them. I I've read them, and uh, what Kyle and Ryan Parrott and uh, Misty Flores have been doing with with the comics is just amazing. I love the fact that they've taken this rated G with extra cheese, as Karen <laughs> Ashley calls it, uh, show, and has sort of kept the. Uh, the bright and colorful look of the, sh of the show, but then they brought it into sort of like this mature space where they get to do, uh, some more meaningful or, uh, a little bit darker stuff. So I think, I think it's cool. I think it's very cool. Okay. Have you liked what they've done with Zordon specifically? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I want them to make a lightning collection figure of, of Zordon in his full body. And, and it was like, dang, he's, cut and ripped and yeah yeah bring that out um I, I i think it's great that they explore the background of zordon and what the what the eltarian war was and kind of get into the nitty-gritty about the how and why of zordon and why he was trapped for ten thousand years and uh i think it's very cool that um and i i really wish that you know and i'm i'm going to put this out in the universe again i do it as much as possible but i really wish that they would do some sort of animated show and that way they can bring us all back to do voices and that would be the best way to get the band back together i guess um mm -hmm. you know unfortunately we can't get the whole band back together but um right uh i think that would be you know that would i think that would satisfy a lot of folks who want to see what they remember as the original brought into the modern day um, space, uh, and, you know, add, you know, add some more new life to it rather than sort of doing a reboot or a revamp or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, for one would think that would be cool. <laughs> they did some great stuff with Voltron. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, and that was basically the same thing they were trying to make. They were trying to take the show the, the way they remember it as kids when it, when they were little kids and they thought of it as being cool and not so cheesy mm -hmm. and then bring that to the modern day. So that's, I think that'd be really cool. And I would, I know I would support that because the fact that they did this 30th anniversary thing is just a once in a lifetime. <laughs> we're 
probably pretty lucky it's, for that. It's pretty amazing to to be a part of something that is not just a pop culture phenomenon, but something that has kind of stood the test of time. And even though some of the fans can be uh, difficult or opinionated sometimes on because you know they they want things to be a certain way and when you're doing a collaborative creative show like Power Rangers you're not going to please everybody all the time so um the fact that you know we're going to see some uh, of our favorite characters you know suit up once again is is pretty damn awesome so <laughs> yes well um okay one more question that I'm just popped in my head here I know for a while there, considering your past with the character, you didn't really think much about him until you started doing the convention stuff. But now that you are in the conventions and all that, do you feel any kind of ownership with Zordon? Um, I don't necessarily feel ownership. I, I try to honor what, what folks think Zordon is or what Zordon stands for because I do think that Zordon is an integral part of those first couple of seasons that – um, if you think about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you you know Zordon is a, a, a tentpole for that. He's he's kind of in the middle of it, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> the character is for at least for the show such a force for good. He is a the one of the things that I think is very interesting about Zordon as a character is that if you look at any other superhero team whether it's the x-men or teenage mutant ninja turtles or the justice league or whatever uh, any any superhero character that has a mentor like the turtles have splinter right uh, at some point splinter will jump into the battle and help he will face off against mm-hmm. the hand or he will or the foot and he will face off against shredder and uh professor x will use his mind powers to help the other x-men so forth and so on Zordon can't do that. Zordon is, uh, in a lot of ways, a very impotent character. He he cannot do anything other than tell the characters, you can do this, and I believe in you. And I think that is something that a great many people need to have in their lives, is somebody who is standing behind them or, you know, is in their sphere of influence and telling them you can do this i believe in you you're the one that can do what nobody else can and so i think that's very uh that's the quality that i always try to um remind people of or to emulate for them whenever we meet because i don't want to I don't want to take away from their experience in any sort of way. Yeah, there's some negative aspects about what it was like to actually portray the character and stuff like that. But all of that stuff aside, what's really important is what the character means to you, what the character means to them. And if I can't honor that, then I shouldn't be doing the conventions. I should be, you know, whatever. I mean, when something is important to somebody, when you you have to do your best to you know to keep that intact you know as long as it doesn't <laughs> of course i say things like that and then i think about everything else that's going on in this country and think oh my god uh <laughs> there you know uh it's it's crazy the kind of time that we're living in because 
I was so sure when I graduated high school that all of that stuff was behind us. But <laughs> here we are <laughs> yeah. dealing with it again. And um, and so that's why, you know, another reason why I think it's important that people have their heroes to look up to. People that uh, might help them forget about how dark things might be right now. So, Yes, I, I will go with that. In fact, I was going to wait till later to say this, but I do have to say Mighty Morphin started when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. I was starting my second year of middle school, and both years I dealt. I had to deal with a lot of being bullied and picked on, mostly because I'm mm. just a quiet kid, and I was also the yep. new kid. And having Power Rangers specifically was it was like a way to escape yep. my life for half an hour every day. So, well, first off, thank you for that oh, yeah. for being part yeah. of that, because this especially was during the first season. But uh, yes, that definitely the hero thing is very important to get away from that darkness. Oh, yeah. It was a as cheesy as it was. It was a bright light, <laughs> I guess you could say, <laughs> yeah. in all of that. So, um, so stepping away from Power Rangers for a little bit, um, if you are into comics, oh, what is on your pull list these days? I don't have one. Uh, I never, oh. I never collected comics. Uh, I was a big uh, fan of of the Marvel comics. I loved the Avengers and I loved werewolf by night. And, uh, but I would never, I didn't collect them month to month. I would, I would buy issues whenever I was allowed to, uh, or whenever, you know, my parents fell for the, Oh, please just one, uh, (laughs) sort of. (laughs) So I, I had a number of these comics that I would read over and over and over, but they were the same issue. They weren't, I didn't have a long box of comics sitting there that I could, follow along with this complete story arc or whatever. And, and then by the time I got to high school and to college, uh, I stopped reading comic books because, um, I was into other things. I was telling my own stories, uh, around the table with polyhedral dice and, and, um, I was working on plays. I was, you know, writing skits and, and trying to tell stories with my own voice rather than reading somebody else's stories. So, um, uh, I knew who the characters were. And also this was like in the early eighties when things really started to get shaken up. Uh, Marvel was almost bankrupt. Uh, DC completely mm-hmm. rebooted their universe with the whole, um, thing with crisis. the monitor and crisis of infinite earth. And, and yes, you know, I, I remember stopping into a comic shop a couple of times with some of my other college friends and I would pick this stuff up and I'd look at them and I'd go, I don't know who any of these characters are. And <laughs> to try to go back and, and figure out where does this thread start and where did, you know, it was, it just seemed like way too much. And yeah. Uh, you know, I mean those, those characters and, and the art for those characters, I, I, I remember so clearly uh, you know, the one, one issue of Avengers where Hank Pym as Ant-Man crawls inside the vision and you got to see the inside of what an Andrew bo- Android body looks like. And I thought, I thought it was just fantastic, you know, that they would do all these things, but I'm, I can't call myself a collector of comic books. I don't have anything on my pull list. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that... So do you have any upcoming projects that you can talk about or want to promote? Uh, well, I mean, my the third book of my Lincoln Bright series, Gifts, should be out sometime. 
hopefully in the next couple of months, depending on how long long it takes them to do the cover art. Um, and then I I have to finish the fourth book to round it all out. But that's that's where I'm at these days as far as like projects. I'm I'm working on finishing out my Lincoln Bright series and trying to think of okay, well, how do I follow that up? What do I do next after that? So, gotcha, cool. And um, you said you're showing up in a, at a con in Louisiana the end of this week. Do you have any others coming up? Um, I take it. I know I'm doing something in Tyler or Longview sometime in, in the summer and the, I, things always come along. So I may be getting some more information in the next couple of weeks about things for later in the year, but, but, um, gotcha. yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess the only other thing to ask you at this point is, um, where can people find you online? Well, before Twitter dies, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, David J Fielding. I'm also on spout spoutable at David J Fielding, or you can find me on Instagram at DJF Zordon, uh, I think you you can find me on Instagram if you look up Zordon. I'm up on Instagram. Yeah. I can't. I I hardly ever go to inst, uh, Instagram because I don't have a Facebook page anymore. So um, I dropped Facebook because it's my <laughs> sort of rebellion against you know one billionaire and I'm you know <laughs> whatever. So <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's it's all billionaires. Yes, I know. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to say thank you very much for doing this and being part of this oh. and making the 300th episode extra special. Um, and awesome. um, congratulations on thank 300 you. Oh, thank you very much. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. And that's going to do it for this week. So thank you all for listening. I want to thank David again for coming on and being my very first interview on this special 300th episode. If this is your first time listening, thank you. Welcome to the show. If this is your 300th time listening, thank you for being here all this time. Next time out will be a regular, well, almost a regular episode. Instead of their normal two episodes, we'll be watching three episodes of Power Rangers Wild Force. And they will be A Father's Footsteps, Sing Song, and The Wings of Animaria. So hope you all join me next week. And until then, take care of each other. And as Zordon always says, And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to Ranger Chronicles. Feedback for the show can be sent to prchronicles at gmail.com or feel free to leave a comment on the show's posting at powerrangerchronicles.com. Ranger Chronicles is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash rangerchronicles for more information. All images and music heard on the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. This show is dedicated to everyone, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes, who have worked to bring us Power Rangers since 1993. Ranger Chronicles is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by 2TrueFreaks.com to check out more great shows. Thank you, and may the power protect you.